All right, so uh, I'm excited to be at CMU. How about you all? Uh, CMU is, uh, Campus Ministry United is a thing that every year I get to look forward to because I know that I'm going to get to be around a bunch of people who are excited about college ministry, and I'm going to get to be around a bunch of people who are excited about student ministry and church planning and all kinds of things like that. And uh, it's just a great time. I get to reunite with some old friends, get to have incredible conversations, get to learn, be pushed to grow, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, this year, I'm particularly excited just because I really do think that uh, this year's theme can be really powerful and have a great impact on our campus ministries and our churches for lots of different reasons. So if you, if you think about what's been going on in our culture with cancel culture, uh, when we talked about topics, you know, we sit around in a circle and we, we just throw topics out like crazy. We're like, what are we going to talk about this year? What's going to be relevant to our ministries, to our churches, to what's going on in the world around us? And we throw out these topics and cancel culture came up. And we were like, man, you know, cancel culture is a, is a thing. And, and I'm telling you, I have been canceled before, all right? Uh, I have been, <laughs> I've been one of those people who I got in a lot of trouble in the past on a campus and, uh, and I was canceled, and our campus ministry has been there, and they've been canceled for standing up for the Word of God. And so when I hear cancel culture, uh, it fires me up because I think that it's one of those things to where no matter what you say or how well you say it, no matter how godly you try to be, if you're sticking to the Word of God, you are going to get canceled. And if you don't believe that, then just go read Jesus' own words because he tells us very clearly, if you do the things that I did and you say the things that I said, you're going to be canceled. And I've heard people say things like, no, man, if you're like Jesus, everybody's just going to love you. And I'm like, they killed that dude in case you forgot, all right? And so whenever you think about what Jesus taught and the way that he taught us to live, it was very counterculture. And so when you live counterculture and you live in a way that the world is not going to like, you run the risk of being canceled. And that's just the way that it is. But the question came up is we could talk about cancel culture all day, but ultimately the church talking about cancel culture and, and what we can do to stop cancel culture isn't going to keep them from trying to cancel us. You know, Jesus didn't try to stop them from canceling him, did he? No, he knew it was going to happen. He came here for that purpose. He knew it was going to take place and he died because of it. And so as we talked about that, I was like, man, you know what we really need to be looking at is not just saying, man, we need, to, we need to stop cancel culture, but ultimately, what can we do as individual disciples, individual ministries and churches in order to make a difference in the world around us? And what I believe that we need to do is that we need to not worry about cancel culture, but in our daily lives, our daily walks, our ministries and our churches, we need to cancel culture in our lives. Because what we've done for far too long is we have allowed culture to dictate what we're going to say, what we're going to think, what we're going to do, the way that we're going to respond. And we've watched culture and we respond to it rather than worrying more about what God has to say, what his word has to say about how we should be responding to culture. And in a disciple's life, in a Christian's life, what we should be doing is saying, man, I need to cancel that way of thinking that culture should dictate what I should think, feel, act, how I should behave. And I should start turning to God and saying, this is how I should live. And if I can cancel culture in that way in my life, I can make an impact on the world around me. Because you can fight cancel culture and you can fight all the crazy things that are going on and you can stand up and you can be, you can be an activist against all of those things, but nothing is going to change the issues and the problems in our world. Nothing will change it like disciples worrying about what Christ's kingdom wants. And so the thing that we really want to emphasize this weekend is that you've got to cancel culture in your life, and you've got to start realizing that the kingdom of God is greater than culture. 
It's greater than anything that's going on around us. It's, it's greater than anything that can touch us from the outside in. The kingdom of God is what will make a difference. There's a reason why whenever you look at the theme of Jesus' message, and if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, over and over again, you see this generalized theme of the kingdom of God. When Jesus preached, he was constantly talking about the kingdom of God. Most of the parables that you see are about the kingdom of God. But the problem, I think, is that for too long, God's people have allowed culture to overcome kingdom in their lives. If you want to know why the church isn't being as impactful now as it might have been in the first century, I think it's because we've allowed cultural, culture to infiltrate the church, infiltrate our lives, and we're not worried about the kingdom near as much as what we are, what's going on in the world around us. And we cannot have the same impact that the first century church had when they were so focused on kingdom, that was their life, that's what it was built around, and we're so focused on worried about everything else that takes place around us. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It isn't just the New Testament, it isn't just us. This has always been a struggle for God's people. If you don't believe me, you can, you can look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. All right, so in 1 Samuel chapter 8, what you see going on is God's people are grumbling and complaining, and they have a problem again. They tend to do that. In case you've ever read the Old Testament, they have lots of issues and problems. And at this time, they're mad at Samuel, and, and for some, to be honest, some of the things they were upset with Samuel about were probably, not probably, they were justified. They're like, dude, you put your, you put your wild kids in positions of authority and leadership. They don't care about the kingdom. They don't care about what God says. What they care about is what culture wants and what they desire. And because of that, nobody respected Samuel. But the problem really wasn't even that because they had had the same issue and problem and complained about the same thing before. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses four, starting verse 4, it says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow the ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. Now right there, when you, if you stop it right there, you're like, okay, they don't respect their leadership. They want a new king, right? But the problem is when you go to the next line, you see what's happening because they go on and they say, they, it, goes, it goes like this. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all of the other nations have. And over, you see this happen many times where they're like, hey, we want a king because we want to be like all of these other nations that you see. But the problem was, is that was never the way that God designed his kingdom to be run. But the people of God looked and they're like, but those people out there have this. We need that too. Give us a king like everybody else has. And all of a sudden you see what's taking place today happening to God's people in the Old Testament. Oh, look what culture has. Look what they have to offer. Oh, they have a king. I want a king too. Give me the king that I want. So it goes on and it says, man, this seemed very bad to Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So he prayed to the Lord. The Lord answered Samuel, comply with the people's request, everything they ask of you, because they haven't rejected you. No, they've rejected me as king over them. You see, what's taking place is that culture was taking over kingdom. They wanted a king like everybody else had, and God's looking at them, he's like, you don't get it, you have a king. I'm your king, and you're a part of a kingdom, but you're so concerned with what's going on around you, and you want to oust me as king, you're rejecting me as king because you want your own king. You want it to be your way, and you want it to be the way that the nations are around you. They're, then he says, they're doing, they're doing to you only what they've been doing to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this very minute, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. God's people have been doing this from the start. 
brings them out of Egypt, saves them, and they start looking around for something better. He does the same thing with us. Some of you experience that. We're baptized into Christ. Our lives have been changed. Our sins have been forgiven. We're added to the family of God. We're added to the kingdom of God. And we're not there very long before we're starting to look around at culture and being like, oh man, but I like that. I miss that. Man, they got this. They got that. So comply with their request, but then give them a clear warning telling them how the king will rule over them. Then Samuel explained everything the Lord had said to the people who were asking for a king. This is how your king will rule over you, Samuel said. He will take your sons and he will use them for his chariots and his cavalry and his runners for his chariots. He will use them as commanders of the troops of 1,000 and, and troops of 50 or to do this plowing and his harvesting or to make his weapons or make his parts for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take your best fields. He'll take your vineyards and your olive groves, and he'll give those to his servants. He will give one-tenth of your grain and your vineyards to his officials and servants. He will take your male and female servants along with the best of your cattle and donkeys and make them do his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks, and then you yourselves will become his slaves. But when that day comes, you'll cry out because the king you chose for yourselves but on that day, the Lord won't answer you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel and said, no, there must be a king over us so we can be like all of the other nations. Our king will judge us and lead us and fight our battles. And God's going, man, you have a king and you have a kingdom and you want what everybody else has got. And for the church, so many times and his disciples, what we've done is we have a king and we have a kingdom but we so desperately want what culture has. We want what the, what the world around us has and we look at it and we lock in on it and we desire it and we want it because we think that it looks so good. It's like that shiny little toy. And he tells them in this passage, he's like, listen, you don't understand what that's gonna do to you. You want that shiny thing, but you have something so much better. You have the freedom right now. You have me as your king. But we're a lot like, we are a lot like stupid animals sometimes. You know, when I was a kid, I remember I read Where the Red Fern Grows, and I've talked about this before in sermons, but when, you, when I read Where the Red Fern Grows, I thought it was so cool because they used to go and they would go trap raccoons. And I remember going trapping when I was a kid with my grandpa, and we would trap all kinds of stuff. Well, the way they did in red, Where the Red Fern Grows is they would take, they would drill out a hole in a stump or a, a dead log, and they would drill out this hole, and they would put something shiny in the bottom of it because raccoons see something shiny, and they just have to have it. And then what they would do is they would put nails in that would go downward facing in. And the raccoon will reach in and his hand slides right through those nails just fine on the dull side. But when he gets a hold of that shiny object and he tries to pull it out, his hand gets stuck with the nails because that raccoon is so dumb and so stubborn and wants so badly that shiny thing in that hole, he's going to rip his hand out and he's going to get caught and he won't be able to escape because he refuses to let go of that thing. And that's us so many times when it comes to culture and what the world has to offer. And God says, man, you could be free if you would just let go of this desire for all of this other stuff that the world has and that culture has, but you won't let it go, so you're going to be trapped and you're going to be destroyed. So he tells them, this is what a king is going to do to you. This is what happens when you replace the kingdom of God, when you replace God as the king of your life with other kings and other kingdoms. Adherence to the kingdom of culture over the kingdom of God will bring these things. First of all, it'll bring battle, strife, and loss of life. Over and over again. He says he'll take your sons, he'll use them for his chariots, his cavalry and runners for his chariot. He'll use them as commanders of troops and 1,000 troops of 50. He says, listen, he's gonna take your, he is going to take your family and he's gonna take them to war and you are going to lose your family. 
Listen to me. As disciples, you need to understand anytime you replace the kingdom of God with the kingdom of culture in your life, you are endangering your sons. You're endangering your daughters and there will be battle and there will be fights and there will be strife and people will lose their lives and they may not lose them physically, but they will lose them spiritually. And I can tell you that because I've seen it happen so many times. I've seen so many people say that they want a relationship with God, but they start dabbling in culture and the world around them and they get caught up and they get swept up and they, and they destroy their lives and they can't figure out why it's such a battle and why it's always such a fight. But and they're, and they're so frustrated, and it's funny because they get mad at God just like Israel does. They're like, well, I can't believe you're letting this, hap- letting this happen to us. And he's like, you chose this, not me. And that's what we do with God. We, we, we're like, man, why is my life so hard? Why do I feel like I always have to scrape and fight and battle? Why am I losing my kids to, to the world? Well, maybe we need to start looking and saying, man, have I replaced the kingdom of, of God with the kingdom of culture in my life? Have I allowed the world to infiltrate infiltrate and take the things that were meant to be God's? Because when you do that, you're going to have battle, you're going to have strife, and you're going to have loss of life. Secondly, you're going to have, you're going to have losses to God's intended family. It says he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, or bakers. You know, I grew up going to church camp. Most of the kids that I went to church camp with, their parents were members of churches. They were church kids. That's the way they grew up. But most of those kids that I grew up going to church camp with no longer have a relationship with God at all. They don't want anything to do with him or the church, and they don't attend at all. And I remember even having conversations with preacher friends of mine. So I'm a PK, right? And everybody knows what PKs are like, right? PKs are a mess most of the time. But when I talked to my friends who were PKs, and I would talk to them about why they behaved the way that they did, and then I would start hearing about what was taking place in their home, what I realized is that those preachers had replaced the kingdom of God with kingdom of culture, and they weren't worried about the kingdom of God. They were worried about many, many other things, and their kids looked at that, and they saw the hypocrisy in it, and they were like, no, I don't want that, and so they walked away from God, and it leaves the parents sitting there going, I don't know how that happened. Gee, let me think. How does that take place? One of the major reasons that churches are losing so many of their people is because the parents and the leaders of our churches aren't being what God called them to be, and they're replacing the kingdom of God with culture things. They're replacing it with many things. And you know, it, it, can, be, it can be physical things. They could be looking at the world and saying, man, culture has all this stuff to offer. And you see these ministers getting in trouble for the big houses and the big cars and wearing $5,000 sneakers while they're preaching, you know, this ridiculous stuff that you see. And you're like, how can that be? And those things happen, but it can also happen even doctrinally and biblically. We'll throw out all kinds of doctrinal and biblical things that really truly matter because culture is giving us pressure. And whenever we do that, somehow we think we're going to reach the world better by throwing out what God said in the first place. But what you're going to do is you're going to lose your children when you do that. And all these churches think, oh man, the way to keep our children, the way to keep our kids, the way to keep the young people in our churches is to bend to culture and say, oh no, God didn't really mean that was a sin when he said it was a sin. And it didn't really mean that for the past 2,000 years when everybody believed that it said that. Now all of a sudden it means something better. And what we're doing is we're caving to culture. And somehow we think that when we cave to that culture and we, and we cave to what God's word says in order to make them feel better, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow us to keep more people or bring more people in, and that's not going to happen at all. We're going to continue to lose our young. We're going to continue to lose our children because that's what happens when we abandon truth. That's what happens whenever we choose the kingdom of culture over the kingdom of God. The third thing is, is that you'll have a theft of blessings that God intended for you. 
He says, he will take your best fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves. He'll give them to his servants, one-tenth of your grain of your vineyards to his officials and servants. He'll take your servants along with the best of your cattle, your donkeys. He'll make them do his work, and then he's going to take a tenth of your flocks, and then eventually you're just going to become his slaves. See, whenever we allow ourselves to be overtaken by the kingdom of culture and we replace the kingdom of God with culture and the things that the culture pushes on us and the things that we desire in culture, whenever we do that, we lose the blessings that God intended for us because we think we know better than God. We're like that little kid who thinks they always, they always think they know better than their parents and their parents are like, no, I, I'm looking out for you, I love you and I care for you and I have something so much better, but we just cannot believe that. We're a lot like the prodigal son a lot of times. See, the prodigal son had all kinds of incredible blessings that were right in front of him that could have been his. But he looked out in culture and he saw all those things and he's like, man, I want all of those things. And, and then he leaves and he's eating pig slop out in, out in the world. He's eating the same things that the pigs eat and he's miserable and he's homeless and his life is a mess because he thought that he could leave the kingdom of God for the kingdom of culture and things would be better. And what he finds out is he not only, not only is it not better, but he lost all of the blessings of home and he's sitting there amongst that slop going, man, I so wish that I could go back to my father's kingdom because in my father's kingdom, even the slaves and the servants are treated better than I am. And we, for some reason, can't get it through our thick heads that the kingdom of God has so much better blessings to offer than what culture offers us. And we sacrifice those things when we bail on God to attain the things in the culture that we long for. And that's what takes place. He told them, this is going to happen to you. And they're like, no, we're going to be good. We're all right. It's, it's going to be better if we go do what we want to do. And he's like, no, it isn't. And you find out, you look over and over again, they throw the kingdom of God out for what they want around them, and then they end up, God's people end up enslaved over and over and over again because they forgot how good it was in the kingdom. They, forget, they forgot all of the blessings of the kingdom, and they had them taken from them because they worried too much about what was going on around them. The fourth thing is, is that you, when you ad adhere to the kingdom of culture over the kingdom of God, it's going to bring in an inability for God to work on your behalf. It's funny how we walk away from the kingdom of God, but we still want God to work on our behalf. We still want him to do all the good stuff that he, that he did before, right? We're like, you know, it's, like, it's kind of like when I tell my kid, hey, if you don't clean your room, you're not going anywhere. And he's like, hey, dad, I, I need to go here. I'm like, He's like, but I need some gas money. Did you clean your room? No. Well, then you're not going to get, I, I, what? I didn't hear you need what? I need gas money. What? Gas money? What? Clean your room, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, go do it. And, but for us, what we do is we look at God and we're like, man, you know what? God, I know I left your kingdom and I know I didn't care about what you cared about. And I know I wanted all these things out there in the world. And I want all the things that culture has to offer me. I want to grab a hold of those things for myself, but I still want you on speed dial. I still want to be able to be like, hey, God, hey, I need this right now. And God's like, that's just not the way that things work. Because he says, when that day comes, you'll cry out because of the king you chose for yourselves. But on that day, the Lord's not going to answer you. You see, whenever we replace the kingdom of God with the kingdom of culture, you lose, you lose your ability to say, hey, God, I need you to help me out of this spot. I need you to bail me out of this. Because he says, listen, when you choose that, you're going to sit in it for a while. And you need to understand the decisions that you make have consequences. And, and, and we've got we've to start coming to this understanding that whenever we, whenever we bail on the kingdom of God, 
we are not going to receive the benefits of the kingdom of God. That's just not the way that it plays out. And God wants you to understand that and know that. You see, ultimately what, what it really comes down to and what this weekend is going to be a lot about is you are being forced to choose between two kingdoms. You know, you, I read this story and it was about this guy during World War II. He was an American citizen, but he was living in Germany. And he loved a lot of things in Germany, but he also, you know, with the war coming, he, he was like, I don't know what I want to do. Should I go back? Should I stay here? And, and, and he was like, if I stay here, then they can force me into their army. But if I go home, then I'll be, it'll be treason. And ultimately what he had to do is he was going to have to sit there and say, you know, I cannot be a citizen of both of these places. That's not the way that it works here. I can't be a citizen of the United States and be a citizen of, and choose to be a citizen of war with them. I cannot do that. And so ultimately, he had to choose, where is my permanent citizenship going to be? And for all of us this weekend, what we need to do is you've got to make a decision about where you want your permanent citizenship to be. Is it going to be in the kingdom of God, or is it going to be in the world and amongst culture? You see, God places those decisions before us, and he says, listen, you cannot straddle that line. You can't have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the culture and think that you are going to be able to exist that way. It doesn't work. You, will be con you need to be consumed by one or the other or culture will eventually consume you. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says this. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, us, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. See, you're going to have a permanent citizenship, and you're going to decide where that's going to be. And our whole weekend is based around this passage to where it says, listen, you've got to make some decisions. Are you going to love the world, or are you going to love the kingdom of God? And the thing, one of the most important things to you, for you to remember is that when you make this decision, only one of those things lasts forever, all right? And we're going to talk about that more later this weekend, but you're choosing a permanent residence of where you're going to be when you make that decision. See, every kingdom has four basic components. There, whenever you have a kingdom, you have a ruler. You have a ruler or rulers, right? You have a king in a kingdom. Not only do you have a ruler, but you have subjects. You also have a domain or an area that those, those, that king rules over, and you have laws. And God's kingdom is no different. It has a ruler, it has subjects, it has domain, and it has laws. But God's kingdom is a little bit different. But those four concepts all take place in God's kingdom as well. And if you're going to be someone who wants to be a part of the kingdom, these are the four things that you need to do. First of all, I need to commit to the king and his kingdom. Joshua 24, 15, again, you see God's people being forced to make a decision whether or not they're going to follow God or the culture around them. He says, so now revere the Lord, serve him honestly and faithfully, and put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but my family, we will serve the Lord. See, over and over again, you see this, this call to making a commitment to God. 
And if you've been sitting on the fence and you're wondering why God hasn't been able to use you in a great way, you're wondering why you can't fight through all the issues and the problems that you're facing or why your ministry isn't, be effective, isn't being effective, your church isn't growing, you may want to look at that and say, man, have I really made the decision of where my permanent residence is going to be? Have I made the decision today that says, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of culture. And so I'm choosing this because I've seen where those other decisions have led. You know, for our church here at the Crossings, we have a lot of unchurched people who attend here at the Crossings. And they've seen, they've seen what choosing the gods of their fathers, they've seen where that leads. They've seen the kind of life that that leads to. They've seen the kind of families, the kind of brokenness, the kind of hurt, the kind of addiction, the kind of abuse, and all those places we're choosing the gods of their fathers, choosing what culture has to offer. They've seen where that, where that goes. But they've also had the opportunity to see what happens when you choose God. But you know, you have to make that decision over and over again. And each day when you wake up, you have to make a decision that says, am I going to choose to believe that the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of culture? And when you start doubting that, and we start dabbling in other things, what we do is we start finding ourselves more and more enveloped by culture, and it gets more and more difficult every day to make a decision that says, I'm going to choose that my house is going to serve the Lord. I'm going to choose that I'm going to do that in my life, in my ministry, in my church. But we are called to make a decision if I'm going to commit to his king and his kingdom. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, listen, you can't have it both ways. It's not the way that it works. You've got to choose what kingdom is going to be your residency and which one you're going to pour your heart and soul into, which one you're going to be committed to. Are you going to be committed to God and his kingdom and his rulership in your life, or are you not? And then the second thing I need to realize is that that commitment controls every aspect of my life. See, whenever you commit to God's kingdom and to being a part of his kingdom, you're committing to giving everything in your life to God. You realize, you know, when the Bible talks about being baptized into Christ, it says that, you, that you're dying to yourself and you're being raised to a new life. It's, it's, it doesn't say you're dying to part of yourself, that you're going to give up part of your old life. It says you're giving up all of who you are in order to be raised new in Christ. You're making a decision that says, I'm only going to serve him from now on, and that commitment is going to control everything else that I do. That is the single most important decision that you will ever make in your life is to give your life to God and be baptized into Christ. And when you come up, that should change everything else that takes place in your life forever after that point. Now, I understand we're weak and we're human and we screw up and we're going to sin, but that's the aim, right? That's the goal. This says, from this point on, I'm God's. I'm not mine any longer. And so when I get an attitude or I'm angry, I want to throw a fit, which I, I can be an angry person sometimes. I have to look and say, man, is this the way that God would have me respond to this or not? Whenever I'm, whenever I'm, when I'm bitter with someone, whenever I want, you know, whenever I want that drink, whenever I want, whatever it is, I'm looking and saying, man, I remember that commitment I made and that commitment to serve the kingdom of God and to serve him as king should affect everything I do. It should affect where I go to school. It should affect where I go to church. It should affect what degree I want to get. It should affect what city I move to. It should affect everything. It, 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 it should affect everything in your life. And, and that may seem like a weird concept, but you know, it's always seemed weird to me because I grew up in a church that was pretty healthy. When, it was so weird to me when I would watch people graduate from high school 
and they're like, where am I going to go to college? And what they do is they go look for a college, and they base that entire decision on whether or not they like the football team, the basketball team, if it has the degree, where it ranks, and all those things. And they can go sign up for a college, go visit it, go, go to that college, and never once think to check to see if there's a healthy church there. But that's where they're going to school. And, and it's easy to look at kids and be like, I can't believe they do that. But grown people do that with jobs all the time. I'm just going where my job takes me. Well, what's going on with the kingdom of God where you're going? Do you know if there's a good church there that you can get connected to and that you can be healthy with and that you can have someone around you to develop you and to work in your life? Or are you just going there because that's where the money's at? You guys, we, every decision that you make once you say I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of God should be influenced by that decision. Every single one. And so we've got to call ourselves back to that. It, we, do we really believe when you see things on these things where it says cancel culture, kingdom is greater than culture, do you really believe that? If you do, then you'll commit your life to God and his kingdom, and you'll realize that that commitment controls every aspect. Look at what uh, Romans chapter 6 says. It says this, so what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? And then he gets sarcastic with him. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. When you make a decision to be a kingdom man or a kingdom woman, it is a new life, a new way of thinking, and a new commitment that you never had before, and it should affect everything you do. And the third thing is this, and final thing, that control, whenever you make that decision that you say that that commitment controls every aspect of my life, that control should override every cultural demand. No matter what culture tells you about what you think you should live your life, your decision to follow the kingdom of God and what his word says should overrule anything else you have pushed upon you by the world. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. He says, listen, it's for too long Christians have been conformed to the world. And it's time to renew our way of thinking and realize I've committed to the king that controls every aspect of my life, regardless of what the world around me says. I am no longer going to allow myself to be molded to fit what culture says I should be, but I'm going to be what Christ has called me to be because I am I'm under his rulership and his authority. And so no matter what the world says, no matter what it does, I'm going to choose to do what Christ says. I'm going to choose to follow what his word says, and I will not allow myself to be someone who is transformed by the world and conformed to the world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and looking and saying, what is God's pleasing and perfect will? Because that's what I'm going to do regardless of what's going on around me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you know that people who are unjust won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Those who are sexually immoral, those who worship false gods, adulterers, both participants in same-sex intercourse, thieves, the greedy, the drunks, abusive people, swindlers, they won't inherit God's kingdom. This is what some of you used to be. But you, and we have all of those people here, right? Every single person that we just read about is here tonight. Every single person that, is here, that we just read about is a member of the Crossings Church. I promise you. That is what some of you used to be. But you were washed clean. You were made holy to God, and you were made right 
with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. And there's no going back. You can read that list and you can think back to your former way of life and you can say, man, I could so easily go back to that, but I made a commitment to Christ which is going to control and change every aspect of my life and no matter what takes place, no matter if the world all of a sudden is telling me, no, no, that's okay, the Bible didn't mean that, you can go back to living however you want, that's not what God's word says. And we've got to become a people who are so committed to God's word and to the kingdom of God in our lives that no matter what the culture around us says, we go back to him every time and that's where we pick our, our permanent citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And if we do that, our churches will explode with growth. Our campus ministries will explode with growth. growth. It, it, seems so, it seems so opposite, right? It seems like, man, how is that going to happen? How is it going to be that we're going to stand up to culture and we're going to do what God says, but then the church is going to grow when so many people disagree with us? Well, I don't know. I don't know why it works that way, but look at the first century. You guys, for most of the people in here, you're a part of, you know, a restoration movement background church of some kind. And for so many years, so many of you have thought, man, how cool would it be to see God restore what happened in the New Testament? But we don't go back and do the things that they did, and somehow we think it's going to magically happen. Living, living as people who are citizens of the kingdom of God who are wholeheartedly committed to that, that it affects every aspect of our lives and we refuse to bend to culture, that's how it happens. That's how it happened for them. And so this weekend, what I really hope that we get to do is we get to look into God's word and we get to say, okay, where in my life have I allowed culture, where have I allowed the world to infiltrate? Where have I allowed my, my foot to step outside the boundary of the kingdom of God and be able to identify that in our lives as individuals and say, I need to move my feet back into the kingdom. I need to stop playing around the borders and around the edges and I need to jump wholeheartedly into the kingdom of God because it's greater than culture ever will be and culture will never stop the kingdom of God so long as God's people choose it. We have, this weekend you're gonna have the opportunity to make a lot of decisions. If you leave here and you don't leave here making some decisions that say, I'm gonna do this different, I'm gonna do that different, man, this is an area of weakness in my life I've gotta work on. If you don't leave here taking God's word and applying it to your life, you have wasted your weekend at CMU. But if you do that and the other people in your ministry go home and do those things, it will be insane to see what God does through the kingdom of God and how we impact culture around us because we can't. Because God is, is more powerful than we could ever dream or imagine, and that's what he wants to do in our lives. That's what he wants to do in and through each of you, through each of your ministries. It is so cool to see when God grabs a hold of a man or woman or a ministry or a church, and they start living like they're committed to the kingdom of God to see the impact that they have on the world around them. I, you know, I cannot wait to hear, to hear stories over the next year of, man, this is what happened in our ministry. This is what took place in our church. Man, we grew so much. You should see these lives that are changing. When you come back and we get to hear the stories of people's lives who are drastically changed, and now they'll be able to sit in this crowd and be like, yep, that was me before too. That's what I used to be. And that's what God longs to do. But he's only gonna be able to do that if we are committed citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for, God, this weekend. Help, us to, help this to be a weekend, God, that we really are able to look and say, man, God, you're the king of my heart, and you, you have changed everything and everything that I do, every decision that I make, every word that I say, anything that takes place in my life, God, is going to be changed and controlled by you. 
God, it won't be, I'm not going to be influenced by the world and the culture and the things that I desire from the outside, but God, I'm going to be changed in my heart by you. And God, that we're able to live in the world and amongst people, but God, that we're able to do so in a way that changes their lives rather than us being influenced by them. God, help us to realize that your kingdom is so much greater than the culture around us, God, and that we, can, we just need to cancel culture in our lives, and we need to adopt kingdom culture into our lives. And God, allow that to, to change us, allow us to change the people around us, God, to just do incredible things in and through your people. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.